Uh, James, I'm getting a weird sound from your end. Uh, it's like a, I don't know. It, it, could, it could be the rain, though, because it's raining here. Just at the end. No, it's not. definitely not rain. It's weird. Okay. It, okay. It, it's, yeah. Okay. I think we're good to go. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tokyo Jazz Joints. This is uh, episode four. It's going to be part one of a three-parter, and we're going to focus in these next three episodes on the one and only Shinjuku, or Shinjuku as it's really meant to be pronounced. Um, uh, amazing place in Tokyo, um, totally unique. Uh, if you've been to Tokyo, there's a fairly good chance it's one of the places along with Shibuya that you'll probably go visit. Um, James, how are you this week? Feeling great, Philip. Another wonderfully uh, fast week locked down here in the city of Yokohama. How about you in Dublin? Same, same. Yeah, short week. We had Easter Monday off. That was good. And already it's Friday and it's time to record the podcast again, which is a nice feeling. We've had uh, about over 1,500 listens, uh, listeners on SoundCloud uh, stats since uh, in the last seven days, which is fantastic because, you know, I know we often joke about how niche uh, jazz joints are in general. So it's good to know that there's actually people out there listening to us and, and got some nice feedback and some nice comments from people. Uh, really, so really good feedback as well. Yeah, really good feedback, and it's not just because people are bored at home and they've run out of shows to watch on Netflix. I think they're actually interested in when, uh, in the project and and you know the stories that we got to tell about it. So you know, yeah, we love hearing from everybody who's been checking it out and uh, keep the comments coming in. It's great stuff. Yeah. So let's um, let's crack on then. So we're going to cover a few places today. Uh, we're going to kind of ease in with a bit of an appetizer, then we'll go to to, to sort of like a I don't know uh, what comes after an appetizer. Fish course, maybe, and then what the main course is is, is kind of going to be the the meat of the episode this week. So we're going to start with Black Sun, um, and Black Sun's one of the places I think when I think back, like we photographed pretty early on in the project, and when I looked at the photos this morning, I was kind of thinking, you know, they've got that for me anyway, that kind of nervousness that I suppose I mentioned in one of the other episodes about being quite early on and maybe kind of not wanting to get in people's faces or kind of disrupt or uh, disturb people by taking pictures. So I, there, there's a kind of a, a shyness about the photographs in my impression anyway. Um, I, and I suppose if I had the chance to go back again, I'd probably uh, shoot something different or shoot, shoot them differently, I guess. But um, tell us a bit about Black Sun. I think it's the, the one that's on the site is the, is the second version. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's, it's called the Black Sun Jazz Club, um, although that's stretching it a bit. It's really just one square room, although they do have live music two, three times a week. Um, it's in its second location. That's right. The first location used to be uh, near the train tracks in Shinjuku, and it was a great little spot, a real dinky old building where you climbed up these narrow stairs, and it was divided into two separate floors. The first floor was just the counter where you would sit with uh, Ujiye-san, the owner. It was a real, real cool cat. And then upstairs were a couple little tables. But that building got torn down. Same story we've heard over and over again. These old buildings with these great old jazz spots. Some, the owner wants to sell it off, and so the jazz spots got to either move or close down. But luckily, Ujie san was able to move even to a more central spot in Shinjuku and Kabukicho, which is sort of the red light district. And uh, he opened up in a bigger space, and, and then he started doing live music. And he's been running the joint, I think, for about 
40 years. Um, and it's funny you mentioned the nervousness that, you know, that you could feel in the photographs because um, my memory of Black Sun, when we went there, I had not seen uh, the new place yet. This was the first time I went to the, the, the new one. And I was really happy because he remembered me, you know. Uh, I had maybe gone to the old shop three or four years earlier and didn't expect him to remember me, obviously. But once we started chatting, he was like, yeah, I remember you because you were asking me a lot of questions. Don't get a lot of foreign people in here asking questions about my jazz yeah. bar. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's probably true. Um, but yeah, a great little spot and, and definitely one that I think, I mean, you know, for people who are visiting Japan, it's not what their, their idea of a jazz club would be. They're thinking of something a lot more you know, fancy uh, with a stage and whatnot. But but in Japan, and we've seen this over and over again, I mean, there's live music in the smallest of rooms, you know? And you can see from the photos that, that you have up on the site, like, you know, you're pretty, pretty much surrounding the musicians in this place, you know? So it's very, very warm. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember it being quite hard to photograph. I think it was kind of, I, I feel like there was, there was something going on or they were like setting up or finishing a gig or there was some... I can't remember exactly. We went like a weird time. Or they were quite, setting up. They yeah, were it wasn't setting quite up. open, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. They I remember were doing being sound check. Yeah. I remember it being sort of hard to to kind of photograph. It was kind of one of those spaces that was very symmetrical. It was quite tricky to get because I, I noticed even looking at the the photograph of the instruments, it's actually taken in the reflection of a of a picture. I think because all the writing's backwards, and there's that big, ugly, massive printer right right in the middle of the yeah. whole of the whole yeah. setup but yeah i always remember that the, the louis armstrong um poster in particular that one always sort of sticks in my mind but yeah it was a it was a nice place and i think must have been probably i guess in the first 20 or so uh places that we did um when we were kind of focusing maybe initially on more sort of central central areas in tokyo so so what about shinjuku i mean it sort of has that resonance. I think it has a different resonance for different people. But I, I remember certainly, particularly when I first went to Japan and back in '97 uh, when I first arrived, um, flown over uh, by the program that I was on, and amazingly in those days, business class. Um, one of the few times I've managed that, and very uh, fancy. Yeah, and I remember arriving there, and we were sort of bussed from the airport to the west side of Shinjuku, which again, you know it's sort of divided by, by those train tracks and the West side, for those of you who don't know, it's full of skyscrapers. It's quite open. It looks properly planned. There's a lot of greenery and then you cross the tracks and the East side is just like this crazy uh, amount of buildings and narrow alleyways and, you know, endless amounts of bars and shops and, and just, you know, that complete sensory overload. And I remember like we arrived there and we were put up in the, I think it was the KO Plaza I stayed in. I had to share a room with what someone else on the program who I'd never met before, which I remember being really awkward. And those first three days in Japan, just head completely spinning. We'd, we'd have this orientation in the daytime and then at night just wander aimlessly around Shinjuku. And when I think back now like to, to that, I was 22 at the time and just wandering around like the, the light, the sort of bright lights of Kabukicho and that east exit of Shinjuku Station, like it just it's kind of mad to me to think that, you know, and then you walk back to this very peaceful kind of um, 
sort of quite demure, you know, uh, west side of, of the station, which is, you know, at night pretty quiet and it's just essentially, you know, government offices and, and hotels and stuff. That's, like a, that. that's a perfect description because the train tracks split it in half completely. You know, the west side, which used to be the old reservoir in the 60s, that was where the big water reservoir was. And the reason they built the big buildings there was because that's where the land is safe you know, in the land of earthquakes, they can only build skyscrapers in certain places. So right, yeah. that's why you get that big divide. But it's funny you mentioned that because I had a very similar experience. I also came in 1997, I was 23. Um, and literally the first place I got on the train to go to was Shinjuku because I was a big Japanese movie fan. And I had seen, there's a classic of the Japanese new wave called Diary of a Shinjuku Thief, um, where you see the main character walking in Kinokunya bookstore. Mm. So that was the first place I went to um, mm. on my second day in Japan was I, I sat down on the steps outside of the Kinokuna bookstore, which is right near Shinjuku Station. And at that point, you know, I knew that there was a lot of jazz here. But I think as we mentioned on the other shows, you know, this was pre-internet really and, and couldn't speak the language. I didn't know where to find any of these places. So the, the, the jazz part of Shinjuku really only opened up to me, you know, after a couple of years. Um, so it, it was kind of two or three years. It was like a, I know it was a sort of a black market um, immediately after the war, but, um, you know, the 60s, it was very much like Bohemia, wasn't it? It was the kind of the, the hub of counterculture. and, and Well, completely. Actually, yeah, you, you mentioned the black market. That is correct. I mean, the day, the day after the war ended, the black market opened up, and then the next day, a lot of the bars opened up, including jazz bars. So there was always like jazz. And then in the 60s, you're right, it became completely like the scene of counterculture, a lot of the riots against the government by Japanese students. And um, there was, at, at its peak, I think there were upwards of about 30 or 40 jazz kisaten in the Shinjuku area. It's kind of hard to imagine now. Yeah, <laughs> wow. 40, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's only about maybe about 10 or 15 left. But, um, but yeah, that started in, in the 1960s. And then um, what happened was, you know, because Shinjuku is as big as a downtown of a lot of cities around the world, you know. Um, so you've got little different pockets of it, like you mentioned. So next to Kabukicho, which was the red light district where the Black Sun is, directly to the east is the famous um, Golden Guy area. Yeah. And, and that area was, you know, pretty much where the brothels were mm. uh, after the war. And then it got over by all the Bohemians and the so yeah. each little neighborhood had its own kind of vibe going on. So yeah. you had the cafes, you had the bars, and then you had the live clubs as well. Well, it's funny because like after my sort of three-day odyssey wandering around um, Shinjuku, as a sort of a wet behind the ears 22-year-old from Belfast, um, I uh, was sort of bussed off to Yokohama actually initially, and, and I did this homestay about 10, 15 minutes south of Yokohama Station. And I remember talking to the family there about you know being in Shinjuku, and they sort of kind of did that intake of breath and uh, there, there's very much this idea in japan a lot of people even still today if you mention shinjuku there's a kind of a oh this oh abunai abunai and it's very much seen as like a, a <laughs> dangerous area right for even, yeah, for, yeah, even yeah. for tokyoites you know oh yeah certainly certainly is and and i mean you know look it's all relative by japanese standards yeah there's a there's fights going on i remember one night wandering home drunkenly from some jazz bar and and seeing a pretty vicious fight break out in an alleyway. Um, but I mean, you know, still, like, uh, I'm from New York City. I mean, you know, my standard of a dangerous neighborhood is, is very different to, to Japanese people. So, you know, and as, uh, one thing to remember as well is that we're, we're foreigners. 
you know, and it's very unlikely that even in the, the roughest of Japanese environments, uh, that if you keep your, your head down and your wits up, nobody's going to bother you here, you know, yeah, and that's something yeah. that really served us well going into the jazz bars because it was almost like sometimes, you know, they're more, you know, nervous of us than we would be of them. And I think what's interesting about Shinjuku is like, you know, it, there are parts of it, it, it's got a real shady feel to a lot of it, but also like a lot of Japan, a lot of big cities, you know, there's, there's this constant mixture of like totally asinine shops and like nice bars, nice cafes, um, places that music fans have opened up then like, you know, kind of red light type places. And if you wander around, you know, uh, the corner a bit from Black Sun, you get to, to Narcissist, which is the second place we're going to chat about today. And actually the first photograph of Narcissist on the, on the website, I think really kind of sums up Shinjuku in a way because you've got these two kind of slightly sketchy looking guys hanging around outside a, a really gaudy kind of like neon shop. And they're checking out this girl wandering in uh, to the building, you know, and you can see already within that building, there's different types of bars. And then of course there's the sign for narcissists. So, you know, it, it's, there's this really very mellow, very kind of stylish, very Japanese, style in every sense a jazz bar but you know next to it, it's got this kind of you know very shinjuku in your face kind of um type uh i think it's a shop you know so it is that's exactly right and in in in, in in shinjuku you'll find in in not even just the same street like i think we talked about in, in previous episode maybe in the last episode the same building in japan is going to have 15 to 20 different bars or establishments and that can cover a wide range of things yeah. and in shinjuku that's going to go way way off into the red light area you know what i mean and uh um narcissist is really interesting because the the lady that runs at kawashima san who I, I would estimate is probably in her mid-70s by now mm. um she's been there pretty much since the 1960s and so she's seen so much of post-war Japan and so much of Shinjuku as it developed and changed over time. Um, but the jazz kisaten was like a really, really big part of it. I mean, as we had mentioned before, you know, these people were kind of on the outskirts, on the out, um, they're outcasts in Japanese yeah, society, yeah. right? And so it, 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 from their view, there's nothing strange about having the jazz cafe next to the sex toy shop and then next to a hostess bar. But on the first floor could be just a regular tavern where people mm. would go after work. And it all exists in harmony together. Yeah, we, I mean, we never asked her about the name. I, I was doing a bit of you know, research on, on uh, the name there, and, and it's obviously from Greek mythology, and apparently Narcissus was, was a hunter who loved all things beautiful. And I think like, you really see that reflected in her place because some of the photographs, you know, if you take it from a certain angle, it just looks like a, a beautiful very kind of like organic Japanese izakaya, you know, there's, there's sort of ikebana, there's these lonely looking branches in, in beautifully uh, handcrafted pots and things like that. And then if you turn around, you know, you see the, the row of, of uh, spirits and you see all these like photographs of jazz musicians. And, and I remember like at the time, I think we asked her, as we do in most places, you know, we asked her permission to take photographs. And I remember her being a little bit, um, you know kind of like well okay then you know so it was it had to be done sort of a little more stealthily and i, I think that she uh specifically sort of requested that she didn't appear in any of them which again is, is something that we've had from a few owners and, and per actually often particularly somewhere like miles i think as well that the the lady there said the same thing you know that they didn't want to be photographed themselves and 
you know, that it seems to come from this kind of, uh, you know, humility and, oh, no, what would you want to take a photograph of me for? <laughs> yes, exa uh, exactly. Even though they're, you know, they're always I'm beautiful, just, you know. But. Just an old lady, you don't want to take my picture. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. But um, it's incredible because, you know, over and over again, um, we've had these experiences where you go in and, and, yeah, you know, a small little cafe in the red light district run by this beautiful old lady who's talking with us and, you know, always complimenting us on our Japanese and and you just okay you've gotten into this little vibe here and then then i always remember a narcissist going back to the bathroom and seeing a picture on the wall and it was a picture of charles gale uh so for listeners out there who don't know charles gale was a saxophone player from america who played extremely heavy free jazz I and mean, very cacophonous and I recognized in the picture that he was here in Narcissus, that that picture was taken here, and he's playing his form. So I asked Kamashima-san, am I confused about something, but did you do a gig here? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, in the 1980s, uh, when Japan was very rich, uh, what they call the bubble years, um, you know, a lot of the jazz musicians would just get flown over to play like, you know, private gigs or small gigs. And so one of her customers, who was a construction uh, company president, which means he made millions in the bubble years. He loved really heavy free jazz, so he used to fly people over. And so she had pictures of various people, like Charles Gale or Anthony Braxton, or I mean, seriously, the kind of people you would not expect to be playing in a tiny little cafe. In Amazing. Yeah. And and she brought them over. Now, unfortunately, that era had passed, but and she was quite, you know, astonished that I was so taken with the photograph. She was like, "Oh, well, it's no big deal. You know, these guys used to come here all the time." And I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> like yeah. these guys used to play in this cafe. So if you and if you're looking at the pictures now online, you'll see like how tiny like Narcissus is as a cafe. So imagine hearing like very very heavy free jazz in there. I mean, it would just be an unbelievable experience. Yeah, I mean, I think um, like again, this this was we shot this pretty early in the project, but yeah, I mean, it's such a narrow space. It's a classic kind of Japanese long narrow badly lit um space you know there's people open up shops and and bars and restaurants in these spaces a lot of people living in this style of space as well but i think for me like i i love the photograph i i just got lucky really it was one of those classic ones where you just got lucky um where we got this guy uh you know kind of blue collar worker he's got his uh company overalls on and he just happened to be reading the liner notes of the africa brass coltrane album and you know you've got that old showa era pink payphone like which oh, you know, beautiful, beautiful right in the, beautiful. In the shot so yeah i was so pleased with that one it's, it's been exhibited a couple of times earlier on in the project and uh yeah i mean I, it's just a, a gorgeous, gorgeous space, like just somewhere you could sit for. Well, you know, that's hours. the thing, Phil. We, we always come back to this is that the beauty of these jazz kisaten, especially, is yes, you go in there and you could sit for three or four hours. And I've done this a lot of times in my life, you know, and just listen to record after record. And you're in a completely hermetically sealed world. And the beautiful pink payphone, just like, you know, is the icing on top. I mean, I, who knows if that even works? And so many of the jazz keys can still have these old payphones. It's like yeah, they, yeah. they I, I wonder if they realize that some people like us like love it because it's like sort of vintage, you know? Uh, but I've never seen anyone use them. You know, yeah. God knows if they work or not. But that that photo is that has always been one of my favorites as well because it was perfectly captured. You know, yeah. and people have actually asked me as well, did you guys stage some of the photographs of people? Huh. 
customers did you have to ask permission i'm like oh no in fact philip actually took most of them secretly so we yeah stage well anything. yeah i mean nothing stays the only thing probably is the is the portraits but again they're staged in the sense of like you know i i ask if i can photograph and then you've got this kind of 30 second to 45 second window where you've got to get it because they often get so embarrassed and it, it sort of all gets a bit uncomfortable um just because you know because of that that japanese thing often they're just you know kind of a bit shy in front of the camera i mean customers i there are some of them are photographed but i generally try to photograph customers if if i photograph them you know it's usually from behind or to a point where you know they're not recognizable and stuff like that but that that one particularly i just got lucky i remember we, we were actually sat at that table uh just down at the end and so we were able to kind of look right up and you can see those speakers as well tucked up in that kind of little butsudan shelf up above the the back window and it's just a fantastic space you know so. a classic joint a classic joint and and what's what's really amazing is that she was able to keep it going because like we said in in the heyday in shinjuku there would have been 20 more cafes at least very similar to this one um and for reasons unknown she has been able to to keep it going where all the other ones either had to close because the rent went up or just you know the trends changed um but the fact that she's been there that long is just so yeah it's so special so that brings us on to to the to the main event which i think you know for me is is you know one of the probably one of my favorite places it's one of my favorite experiences you know i i love the photographs uh, if, if you're allowed to say that about your own stuff but um oh, why not come th- th- on all right. no, no false modesty here yeah. all right fair enough um you know it's it's shiramuren in uh golden guy in shinjuku and you mentioned golden guy so again for those of you who don't know it's it, uh, probably a lot more uh, a lot better known now than it probably was in the past but it's become quite popular with tourists now but it, it's basically a little um I suppose enclave of of tiny tiny little bars um all shoved in a tiny area kind of like a got a sort of a shanty town shack sort of vibe and basically literally one square block if yeah, you're thinking yeah. in terms of size from like a city in the west i mean it's one square block with about six or seven alleyways that go uh, parallel to each other yeah and each alleyway as you can see from the first photo on the site if you're looking at shiramuden um, you can see that each alleyway has got upwards of about 30 to 40 bars. Yeah. So there's there's something along the lines of around 200 bars in this tiny little square uh, block. And they, and they basically, you know, they if you go in the daytime, it's like a ghost town. Um, you might see the old person cleaning the steps or or getting stuff ready, but it really comes alive at night. Uh, and I think this was really early on, and I, I, it, it was sort of... It was a bit of a legendary place, I think, because I think, first of all, the owner was was uh, kind of famous for being, um, let's say, not the most hospitable, probably the nicest way to put it. But, but That's certainly, being very generous, yes. Certainly a, a bit grumpy, uh, not to put too fine a point on it. So we actually went there twice, and, and I remember the first time because he was so terrifying that I think the only place that I photographed was in the, the bathroom which I think I photographed with my phone or maybe I took my camera. I tend to take my camera into the bathroom just in case because a lot of the, the bathrooms in these places are, are just as worthy of photographing. But just to get an idea of this place, I mean, I think there's, there's basically, I think, eight stools. Um, and, you know, you could almost reach, touch both sides of the bar if you put your arms out. Uh, you know, it's so narrow 
and so cramped. And I think the first time we went, it was pretty, it was pretty warm as well. Like the window was open and it was pretty kind of hot and sweaty. And we went in and again, not a massive menu. Um, and I think we ordered a beer and he gave us two kind of like one and a half liter bottles of beer each. He just, he just took the tops off them, sort of thumped them down on the counter <laughs> and then poured us a bowl of like those really dry chalky beans that they use for um, setsubun, you know, for throwing at the devil. And yeah, I was I was thinking more along the lines of uh, what I used to feed my dog for a snack. It's, it's that kind of vibe. Yeah. yeah, that kind of dry snack. I mean, he Otsuka-san, the owner, is is incredible. He um, the first time I had been there, so I had been to Shiramaran many times before I took you there. Um, but I would say it was really only the third time that I went. Uh, before he would talk to me. So, you know, I'd had a rule from my own website where I was trying to profile these joints. You know, I'd always go right when they opened so I could talk to the owner before it got crowded. And the first two times I went there, he just wouldn't talk to me. And you know, he was extremely intimidating, as you said. You can see from, from the photo that you have of him here. Um, but I decided, okay, look, I love the little joint. It was just so atmospheric. It was completely out of an old Japanese movie. Um, I'm going to go back again. And the third time I went, he remembered me and he finally opened up. I wouldn't say that he was the warmest guy, but we did have a good 30 or 45 minute chat. Um, and um, he even told me about his family, that he had a daughter and he lived in this part of Tokyo, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it just took him a little while. Um, also because, and we'll get into this on another episode of the, of, of the podcast, but because Shinjuku and Golden Guy in Tokyo in general has changed, um, he, these kind of little bars have been getting a lot more tourists. And for the owners who don't speak English, they don't really know how to handle that. And so I think he felt a little bit stressed out about it. And so he would put on this gruff exterior. Yeah. The other thing that's quite amazing about Otsuka-san is that, and you can't quite see it from the picture here, is that he only has one arm. Mm. So he puts the entire bar uh, just with, with his right arm and right hand um, I asked him about what had happened and he just looked at me very, very coldly and just said, it was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> so you Which can sort imagine. Of just adds to the mystery of the whole place. But we did wonder maybe the first time, you know, that, that we went together, uh, if, you know, that that's also maybe part of it. Maybe he, he does get asked or, you know, it's just a kind of a, you know, he's, there's a kind of a defense already up there. And it's amazing to watch because there's actually really nowhere I mean, the bar that you see him standing in is so narrow that he kind of sits on a little footstool um, behind, you know, in, inside that bar space. And, you know, he's mixing drinks there. He prepares, you know, little snacky type uh, food that you, you get for your for your seating charge and stuff like that. And, and he, he does this whole thing. I think also what's uh, distinctive about that place is that at some point, presumably, he switched his whole collection of vinyl to over the CDs, and so there's really no vinyl at all there now anymore. Oh, yes, that's, that's right, and you can see it in the photographs. And, and when I asked him about that, I remember he just he looked at me like I was, like I was simple. <laughs> he was just like, he, he looked at me like, how am I going to get 5,000 records in here? And I was like, that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, in The Golden Guy, how would you get that many records? I know from some of the other bars that they would just rotate them. You know, they would bring in like a, like a box of like, you know, 50 or a couple boxes of 100 and then replace them, you know, rotate them every week mm -hmm. or so from their house. But he decided, I think sometime in the 80s, uh, to just get rid of his vinyl collection, 
you know, and 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 start buying CDs and put it in the bar. And as you can see, he's got a couple thousand. Yeah, I mean, sometimes as well. I suppose that there's somewhere like Golden Guy, particularly. I suppose the, there's no, there's always the fire thing as well. You know, like if one of those places happens to go up, the whole place is going up, really, isn't it? Because it's so tightly packed and so um, narrow that you know. Uh, you, you could, a record collection could disappear very quickly if, if something like that happened. But you know, I think so. I, we came away the first time, and I were really, I was really finding my feet in terms of photographing the places back then. And I remember coming away being like so annoyed that I hadn't taken any pictures. But in a way, I'm kind of glad because you know, like I've said before, um, if 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 you're told no or or you refuse permission to photograph, then you know you really have nowhere to go. And I, I think to not have included somewhere like Shira Muren in the project um, would have been a, a real tragedy. And so we went back much, much later on, like way, I think probably actually not long before I left in, in, in July uh, 17. And like, again, we, we went in, there was again, no one there uh, at that time. Um, and I remember again, it being pretty hot and sweaty and, I just again re- pure luck, but you can actually see and it's, it's 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 pretty bad, and probably you wouldn't notice if you didn't point it out. But in the photograph of of the master there, you can actually see my camera bag just in the foreground, because I think again <laughs> it was just that moment of like this is the shot, and I just captured that one image of him, and I think it just sums him up because he's he doesn't give much away, does he? And I remember that second time that we went back together, he was much more talkative, and there was a definite like change yeah yeah definitely. I, I think he wants to know and and then you know look that that's probably the case for a lot of these bar owners they you know they want to know that you're not just coming in to to take your to take your instagram pics and 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 you know uh have a travel experience i mean he, he's got a small place you can see with four stools in the photo that you've got here and um yeah once you once you show that you're going to come back and be a regular customer he will start talking with you and i remember I think it might have been that that uh, that second time we went back, but one of the regular customers who came in who was even younger than us, but clearly they knew each other. He was quite chatty with. That's know? right. Yeah, yeah. So it just took a little time. It's so funny, Philip, because I'm looking at the picture with the window in the background. So we were there in the summer. This would have been probably what six thirty, maybe seven o'clock. Yeah. So it's still light out, but I've had a couple nights in Shinamaran sitting by that window where I missed the last train. And uh, one day you can kind of see out the window how close the opposite yeah, yeah. building is with the other bars there. And I remember hearing a little like rustling noise as I was sitting next to the window and I looked out and there was just a gigantic rat sitting right outside the window, <laughs> looking through the window at me. And there's no screen, there's nothing. And all I could think about was like, I don't want to die from a rat bite in a jazz bar in Shinjuku. And then I thought, well, you know what? There might be worse ways to go than that. I mean, that would be very appropriate I, I think for that me. You there's know? definitely there's definitely worse ways to go. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's the yeah. kind of that's the kind of vibe in Shinjuku is that it's really interesting because again, people have this view of of Japan and of Tokyo who's not being here of being so sleek and modern and robotic and anime and all of that. And yes, there's those elements as well. But when you come to these kind of jazz bars, mm-hmm. it's completely the opposite. It's yeah. 1960s. It's totally analog. It's dirty. Uh, you know, it's it's not a part of the modern world. You know, they don't make any many accommodations in the modern world. And I think as well, you know, probably again without sort of getting too much into it, you know, like in Japan, 
you know, the, the new and the shiny and the modern and in, in inverted commas tends to be, you know, valued more and, and seen as more attractive. So, you know, there's not a lot of interest maybe in preserving these kind of places. And, and I suppose, ironically, you know, what's kind of kept Golden Guy alive actually has been this influx of tourism. I remember chatting uh, with Otsuka-san about that when we were there the second time, you know, and, and how it seemed like he had this kind of ambivalence about it because he knew maybe that that money coming in from, from tourists and people becoming aware of Golden Guy more was kind of keeping keeping business going, but also maybe it was, you know, fundamentally changing the character of the place uh, over time as well. And and like, as we know, you know, from being in Japan, things change very quickly and, and whole areas can just vanish uh, or more or less overnight and, and something new pops up. And so, you know, just to have those photographs of Shiromura and um, for as long as it's there, you know, it's uh, just fantastic. And I'd say like the photograph of him as grainy and, and, and sort of gritty as the photograph itself is technically, I just think it, it's one of the, Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it makes me, it makes me so happy just to look at it because of all the good memories I've had of, of, of drinking there and, and everything about the space, when you're looking at this photo of him, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the camera bag, which I never had noticed until you just mentioned it because my attention actually always goes, this is really strange. It doesn't even go to the CDs behind him on the wall, necessarily to him. It goes to almost the center of the picture, of the frame. It's the the round wall fan up in the corner of the back <laughs> wall. And, yeah. and that, that, that rotating fan that you see in so many of these old bars and places that we go to, that's the only ventilation you have. Um, and sometimes it doesn't do anything when you've got eight guys chain smoking in a counter bar like that. And it's roughly 38 degrees centigrade or, you know, high nineties <laughs> in Fahrenheit, yeah. even at night, you know, so you're sitting there, you're sweltering and it's so smoky and the music is just blaringly loud. And for some people, they'll just be like, that sounds horrific. But I, I know for me, like these experiences were so special. It was just like, this is what Tokyo is to me, is these old little joints. And it's just so great that we've been able to capture them because, you know, like we've talked about, a lot of them are you know, just disappearing. And God knows what it's going to be like when we get into the post-COVID-19 world economy. Uh, I am keeping an, an ear out um, for the places what we've discussed, some of the Kisaka and the jazz cafes and jazz bars, like, you know, um, are they going to be able to reopen or not? And, and I imagine that down the line, we're going to do an episode on that as well. Um, yeah. To get out of the situation. But, well, we're going to stay, yeah. in, we're going to stay in Shinjuku um, anyway um, for the next couple of episodes um, uh, and look at some of the other sort of legendary places um, of which there are many um, in Shinjuku particularly. So maybe that's a good point to, to pause this week. Um, if, you, if you can hear a weird noise um, on the recording, we apologize for that. I'm not sure what, there's some kind of weird interference, but you know, we're all, we're all um, learning on our feet in terms of recording this through um, Zoom and so on and so forth. Um, we've got some new intro and outro music this week uh, from Louis Lastic, so thanks to him for, for giving us that track. James, um, we'll, we'll pick this chat up about Shinjuku next week, um, and we're going to talk about the problem with samurai. We'll just leave that there uh, and let people have a, have a think about what that might be. In the meantime, um, you take it easy, stay safe this week, uh, and uh, we'll be in touch next week. You too. Uh, look forward to it next week. And don't forget, check us out, tokyojazzjoints.com. 
And is there an Instagram page? There must be one. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah. At Tokyo Jazz Joints. <laughs> at Tokyo Jazz Joints on Twitter. At Tokyo Jazz Joints on Facebook. You can get us on all the social media platforms and you can listen to the podcasts on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple. So um, there's no excuse to not listen. Thanks again for all the listens and likes. And we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll talk to you next week. See you next week. <laughs>